Good morning. Good to see everybody here in the house of the Lord today. What a wonderful morning of worship we have had already. I would encourage those of you who are here and you heard about the new members class, if that's something that you've been meaning to do and thought, you know what, I think God is calling me to join First Baptist, but I just don't know about walking the aisle. That's just something that's not in my comfort zone. Uh, it is not a requirement to join First Baptist that you walk the aisle. We, of course, welcome that because it allows the congregation to see you and celebrate that. But the requirement, according to our bylaws, is to go through the class. So if you would like to join our church today, you can be in this room at 10 o'clock in, in lieu of uh, the Bible study hour, or if you would just like to go to that today from 10 to 12, and you can join the church here today um, at the conclusion of that study. I want to say a couple of things here as we get started, as uh, you all I know have seen the front of the bulletin and have seen how the church is coming out with its new line of wine bottles right there. Um, there are no such bottles in existence. I want to make sure we all understand that. That's just a graphic. But we do begin a series today on the study of alcohol and what the Bible says about it. And I want to begin here because, first of all, I want you all to hear my heart not on the subject of alcohol. I want you to hear my heart for you as a pastor. So this week, um, my best friend, um, I have two really wonderful friends in this world, many friends, but two that are just as close as they can be, Nathan Van Horn and first... Corinth of uh, Tupelo or in Corinth, Mississippi, and then Carrie Hughes, my longest and oldest friend. He is in Cary, Illinois, at Living Grace Church. We're all MC grads, and Carrie's grandmother passed away, and I was able to go to her service. Uh, I was able to get there because I had some responsibilities in Tupelo Thursday evening. I was able to get there and back because. Another good friend of mine, Dr. Phil Mathis, many of you know Dr. Phil, he uh, has a plane and he flew me. Uh, he has offered me before, if I get in a pinch, I could reach out to him and if he's available, uh, he has helped me and for that I'm grateful. Um, and I'd never flown, flown privately before and I was a little bit nervous because I'd never done that before. It was beautiful to be above the clouds and to be in the sky, and uh, Phil makes it a magical experience when you're up there. Um, but one of the things as we were taking off, uh, I said, uh, Dr. Phil, how many people will this uh, airplane hold? He said, six. He said, but uh, Brother Matt, we call it six souls. There are six souls aboard. So he said, today we would report that there are two souls aboard. I was looking at our bulletin yesterday online and it says last week in worship, um, I know I saw it here somewhere, that there are nine, were 900 people here last week. I want you to know that that's 900 souls. And souls are going to spend an eternity somewhere. Souls are what Jesus has died for. Souls live forever. 
Souls means that we will never be just a church that caters to one age over the other. I have the privilege of preaching Roy Logan's funeral tomorrow at 10 o'clock here at PGE's. I had the privilege earlier this week of putting my hand under his head and pray with him one last time. 92 years old. I had the privilege last week of walking down the preschool aisle down here in our church and putting my hand on the head of a little baby and expressing the joy of seeing that little soul here. I just want you to know that when I talk about subjects, God forbid that I ever try to be controversial because I take very seriously the fact that when that bulletin says that there were 900 people here last week, those are 900 souls. And those are 900 souls for whom Jesus died and for whom, to whom he loves to the uttermost. You may not find me to be the best preacher. Let me help you with that. I am not the best preacher in the world. I am not the best preacher in Tupelo. I'm not the smartest pastor out there, nor the most educated. But I determined in my heart years ago that no pastor will love their congregation more than I do. Now, listen, I'm not saying you feel it all the time. I know there may be times where you feel like I am unloving. Or where you feel like I'm not there as I should be there. And I want you to know, as God is my witness, if you feel that, it is never intentional. That I don't go out of my way to not care about you. When I recall you, I bless your name, I pray for you. Every time I write you a birthday card, I pray for you because I care about you. So when I talk about a subject like alcohol, this is one that is felt very deeply. I don't think there's another subject in the church, the Baptist church today, maybe women in ministry. If you want more of that, come tonight. We're going to watch a few videos from the SBC meeting and then talk about it. But I don't think that there is another subject where passions are so high because the stakes are high. I want to ask just two questions real quick. How many of you have someone in your family or someone close to you who are able to responsibly use alcohol not given to drunkenness, and seemingly do not have a problem with consumption. How many of you in the room? Quite a few hands. How many of you also know someone that one is never enough? How many in the room? This is why we feel this so passionately. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a commitment to me today to be a part of all three services. Now, I know you may not be able to be here next week, but you can watch it online or you can listen online because this subject is so vast on alcohol. In order for me to do it justice, it takes three. My assumption is at the end of this service, 
some of you will be ready to drive to the liquor store. <laughs> and if that's you, please come next week. Because <laughs> next week is for you. And then my assumption also at the end of this service, some of you are going to say, how dare that pastor give my loved one a green light to touch alcohol? Doesn't he know how destructive this substance is? So I'm asking you, before you stone me, if you want to, okay, just wait three weeks before you do it. Get the whole picture. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35. Today's message is a word to abstainers. Here we read at the end of happenings in the scripture. Jesus has literally just healed a centurion's servant off of his deathbed. And he has just raised a widow's son and enter the man John the Baptist at this point, who is at this moment sitting in prison. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. What? People are being raised off their deathbed and the dead are being literally called back from the morgue. They reported these things to him, and John, calling to his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when these men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits and on many who were blind bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Very important verse. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness and see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out and see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those um, who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are king in king's courts. What then did you go out and see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is of this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, Whew, goodness, chilling, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sing a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come 
eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Our main statement today is this. If we are scandalized by the word of God, that's bad. If we are scandalized by the word of God, that's bad. This morning's message is written to a certain group of people. Here's what I want to do. I want to lay my cards on the table. If we were to play poker, and don't worry, we're not because we're Baptists, but if we were, your game would be adjusted significantly if the cards you were holding, you're looking at them if I also showed you mine first. You would be able to let your guard down and know, okay, I can play this game differently because I already know what he's holding. I don't want to play tricks on you today. I want you to know what I do on the subject of alcohol. I am a lifelong, multi-generational teetotaler. That means I don't consume it. I'm not saying I've never consumed it. I've probably had less than 12 ounces my entire life. Um, my grandfather, when I told him about that a few years ago, he said, well, that's um, 12 ounces more than me. I'm not, yeah, I will not forget that. But um, anyway, I am a lifelong teetotaler. I have no intention to change. My wife does not consume alcohol. I don't want my children to. I hope they grow up and don't drink. I am afraid of it for many reasons because when you look at my family tree, almost probably at a 97% rate, and that, that's a scientific one because I've looked, Everyone in the Powell and Ledbetter tree of my family who touches it, it brings absolute misery and destruction. And because of that, I don't touch it. So I want you to know, you, don't ha you can let your guard down because I'm not playing a trick on you. This is where I land on this subject. However, more importantly than my opinion, more important than my opinion, more important than my grandparents' opinion, my parents' opinion, is what the Bible says about any subject. And this is the word to abstainers today for people like you and me. This message is for Matt Powell, one who does not like the consumption of alcohol, wishes that it wasn't around. I don't care for it. I don't want it personally. And I wish other people didn't either. Um, however, at the same time, this message is for me because the Bible doesn't reflect my convictions. My convictions are an application of wisdom based on what the Bible says. But the Bible, as you're going to see, does not teach what I hold, which is teetotalism. So this message is for me. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Principle number one. John the Baptist was scandalized by Jesus because Jesus was not conforming to the kind of Messiah John believed he should be. Now, first of all, let's talk about John the Baptist. Okay, now, 
shocker that a subject we talk about alcohol and the character involved in the discussion is actually has Baptist attached to his name. Um, I, I will say this, if you go and ask people around town, what do Baptists believe? If you were to ask most of us, we would say, oh, it's baptized by immersion. Well, if you ask around town, down here in our cultural Christianity, what is the answer that you typically get? What do Baptists believe? Oh, Baptists don't drink. Now, we know that that's true, right? But anyway, that is, that is the thought about us. We're not even known about what our name means. We're not even known for what we're for by many. We're known for what we're against. That should say something to us. You know, there are more resolutions from the Southern Baptist Convention on alcohol than any other issue in our history. Southern Baptists are known as the teetotal denomination. We are. Now, do we practice that in full? Of course not. I'm not going to pretend that I'm preaching to a bunch of teetotalers. I know. I know many of you drink. I know many of you drink regularly. Some of you tell me. Some of you don't tell me, and I still know. <laughs> Was that out loud? Um, but you know what? Guess what? You don't have to stand before me. You have to stand before God. And listen, I wish, though, that that was not said about our denomination. It is a hindrance that we are known by what we are against. Um, even though, again, I'm a teetotaler. So, but John the Baptist was scandalized by Jesus because Jesus was not conforming to the kind of Messiah John believed he should be. Let me give you a couple of things. John sends somebody to ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah after a couple of things happen. First of all, it is reasonable conclude, to conclude that a man who is raising sick people off their deathbed and returning life to corpses is the Son of God. Why is John asking the man, raising the dead and healing those on their deathbed? Are you really God? Isn't that enough evidence? And the reason is, is because John struggled with why Jesus had left him in prison. This is what biblical commentators say across the board. Isaiah 61 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And notice what Jesus says when he says, you go tell John. He says, you go tell John this. Um, oh, I, I lost it right here. Verse. Where did I? I know I just read it. I just lost it. Verse 22. Thank you. And he said, go tell John and what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Notice what he doesn't say. And those who are in prison are getting out. What is he telling John? You ain't getting out of jail. Like John, 
we all have an image in our mind of what Jesus should be. Should be. If Jesus is the Son of God, he must be this way. And for John, the Messiah was supposed to set the prisoners free. And yet, John said in jail. And Jesus said to John's disciples, you go tell John that, yes, I'm the Messiah, but just not the one that he wants me to be. And then he says this statement. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The original language uses a word that we get our modern word scandalize from. Jesus is saying, blessed is the one who is not scandalized by the kind of Messiah I am. Like John, we all have an image in our mind of what Jesus should be like, and it doesn't always match the Jesus that he is. When you talk about for some of us who've grown up in rigid, blessed, I'll even add blessed, teetotaler environments. Jesus and alcohol was a fixture. He just said no. It was considered wrong. We don't even go there. And in fact, if we could ask Jesus today, we know what Jesus would say. He would say, don't drink. But here's what I want to submit to you today. Would he? That's what I want him to say as a teetotaler, because that fits comfortably with my cultural expression of Christianity. But is that the Messiah that he is? I know we get in trouble when we start taking away from the words of Scripture. But friends, we also get in trouble when we add to it too. It's a, it's a grievous sin to take away from what God says, but it's also a grievous sin to go beyond what God says too. There's where the Pharisees were. They went beyond the word of God, establishing this rigid morality in such a way that allowed them to be more conservative and more self-righteous than Jesus himself because they were offended by this man because of what he did specifically in this passage with alcohol. So, I'm saying to you today is that we need to make sure that the Jesus we worship is the Jesus of the Bible and not the cultural expression of Jesus that we want him to be. Principle number two. Oh, can't even believe I'm going to say it. Go ahead and put it on the screen. I'll let y'all read it. Oh, okay. Jesus drank alcohol. You say, Pastor Matt, can you say that with 100%? No, of course not. I wasn't there. But good hermeneutics, responsible church history, and just diligent Bible study and plain reading of the text, you really pretty much have to stand on your head and... Uh, do all kinds of tricks with the scripture to say anything else. You say, well, how do you know? Because I don't believe you. Because my mother told me different. Well, you're wise to listen to your mother. But let me tell you what Jesus says. First, Jesus says he drank alcohol. Notice Luke 7, through 34. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. The word there, the root word is oinos, 
which is a general word used for wine in the scripture. And he says, you have a demon. The son of man is come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, here's the way teetotalers argue this. Well, John came drinking no wine. It just says about Jesus that he came eating and drinking. He wasn't drinking wine. He was having Coke Zero. It's t- it, he wasn't touching the stuff. And it was just they accused him of drinking. Friends, the regular use of language here points to Jesus partook in oinos. But oh, Brother Matt, listen. I've heard Billy Graham say, I've heard Adrian Rogers say, I've heard them say this. I've heard all of these wonderful, godly, blessed men of God say that it wasn't real wine as we have today. It was only grape juice. It wasn't the wine we have today. You could not get drunk off of this stuff. Oinos, no, they looked down on it. It was wrong. They would have never done that. Jesus would not have done that. Well, let me just, first of all, point to Ephesians 5.18, which is the exact same word. And do not get drunk with, what does it say? Wine. Which word? Oinos. Do you ever feel compelled if somebody sits down with a bottle of Welch's to say, careful. No, of course not, because you can drink it all day, and you will make yourself sick before you make yourself drunk. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Here's another one. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink. By the way, this is talking about not Jesus, but John the Baptist. He must not drink wine, oinos, or sakira, which is strong drink oh this is the heavier stuff okay and he will be filled with the holy spirit even from his mother's womb so what is this strong drink look at the definition it will be on the screen i think there we go sakura is an intoxicating drink of hebrew origin it is an intoxicant intensely fermented liquor and the scripture says john could not touch wine which was alcoholic because you can get drunk on it And John could also not touch intensely fermented liquor. You say, well, where does that come from? Well, it's the only used one time in the New Testament, right here in Luke chapter 1. However, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the LXX, the Septuagint, it's used over almost a dozen times. And let me give you a few of them. Let's look at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 through 9. It says, and the Lord spoke to Aaron, who's Aaron, the high priest, saying, drink no wine, oinos, or strong drinks, Kira, or your sons with you when you go to the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. What is he saying to the high priest? When you go to the church, don't be drinking. What is the direct implication to the high priest? When you're not carrying out priestly duties, I have no command for you. It does not say that. Oh, I know. But let's keep reading. Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 4. Now listen. 
This is a Nazarite vow. He should say, but I, weren't there people that God said they weren't allowed to drink ever, and he pretty much said that to everybody at all, of all ages, of all time? Well, no, those are called Nazarites. And their Nazarites' vows were never lifelong. There were only two lifelong Nazarites in the Bible. We'll talk about them in two weeks. Samson, we know how that turned out, and uh, John the Baptist. So speak to the people of Israel and say, when either a man or woman makes a special vow, a vow of a Nazarite, you say, but Jesus was one of those Nazarene, not Nazarite. To separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall not... Drink, he shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried all the days of his separation. He shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even seeds nor skins. Not only did Jesus say that he drank alcohol and we see that oinos can be understood as alcohol. The scripture also says in Luke 7 that Jesus says he drank alcohol with others present. Oh. Jesus, aren't you concerned about your testimony? What if somebody sees you? But it says he drank alcohol with other brothers present. I want you to look at the scripture. Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. And as a teetotaler, I can't stand this. Jesus is so complicated. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Why would he say that? Because he's not only drinking oinos, he's actually drinking it with lost people, publicly. How can he possibly have a testimony if he's doing that? See how it gets complicated for people like me? Oh, but it gets worse. Jesus did not stop drinking alcohol because it was used by the Pharisees to slander him. Here's the thing. Here's what Jesus says. He makes it clear that he is aware that he is being judged by self-righteous Christians, or not in their day Christians, but the self-righteous religious people. He knows that he is being unjustly judged by them, and he doesn't hesitate. It doesn't bother him that it's going to offend self-righteous people. You're like, but hasn't he read Romans? Hasn't he read Corinthians? Yeah, he wrote it. I'm just saying we got to take this whole picture, whole picture of Scripture. Let me give you a couple of things. We know the Pharisees were present because in Luke 7, 29 through 30, I'm not going to read that, just put it on the screen. Because the Pharisees were there and they had rejected God's purpose for them. But I want you to look at Luke 7, 34. And you say, look at him. The Pharisees were saying, look at that guy. That guy's over there drinking. And he is supposed to be this so-called great teacher of God. Jesus knew they were doing that. And yet still, you're like, Brother Matt, oh, it gets so much worse. Here's the bad part. Jesus even made alcohol for others to consume. Brother Matt, say it's not so. John chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Jesus' first miracle at Cana, where he turned the water into grape juice, or at least so I was told as a child. <laughs> now there were stick stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons, which this means a lot. 
okay? And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And then when they took it, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, oinos, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him everyone serves the good oinos now as a child i was told the good oinos is the grape juice the bad oinos is the you know you know no everyone serves the good oinos first and when the people have drunk Really? You're like, what does that word mean? Well, I've got it on the screen for you. Go ahead and put the definition up for drunk freely, straight out of the Bible dictionary. To be intoxicated with wine, to be drunk from another form of meth, to drink intoxication, to get drunk. How do you get that way off of Welch's grape juice? You don't. Now, is this saying get drunk? Of course not. But the master of the ceremony is saying, listen, typically the good stuff comes out first and then the bad stuff, the cheap stuff, the really watered down stuff comes out later. But you, my son, have saved the best for last. What does that mean? Jesus made a drink that had alcoholic content in it and he gave it to people for blessing. Also, here's another one. Jesus promises to drink with you in the new kingdom. You're like, I ain't never touching this stuff. You will in heaven. Um, Matthew chapter 26, verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And we'll be able to drink it and enjoy it and have no fear of drunkenness because we will be as he is number three the bible never calls consumption of alcohol a sin it surprisingly says the opposite in many places i'm going to just give these to you quickly first the bible calls wine or alcohol a sign of blessing deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 13 he will love you and bless you and multiply you he will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground the grain and your wine that a sign of god's blessing is him giving you wine that's what deuteronomy says also in the old testament it was used to celebrate god's blessing in fact there was one feast they did it when they gave tithes when they gave a tithe they were to bring their wine or their alcohol maybe it might help the tithes around here no i'm just kidding <laughs> we're not doing it all right you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and of the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if this way is too long for you, and you are not able to carry the tithe, meaning the physical things you're giving to the Lord, then the Lord your God blesses you 
because the place is too far for you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, you shall turn it into money, meaning sell what you have, and then bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord chooses and spend your money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, or strong drink. Why does it say that? Whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God, you and your household. So alcohol, according to the Old Testament, was not only a blessing, it was used to celebrate blessing. The scripture also says God made it to be a blessing. Psalm 104, 14, just the highlighted portions because I'm out of time. That he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of of man. God made it for a blessing. Look at Amos 9:14. Notice what it says. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. And this happens when God restores the fortunes of Israel. Go to the next one, Isaiah 55 and verse number 1, which says this, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. If it's a sin, Why in the world would God say, when I've restored you back from where I drove you because you sinned, I'm going to give you the blessing of wine? It doesn't make sense if all consumption is sinful, which comes to the final thing for today. If I call drinking a sin or blanketly call any consumption a stumbling block for others to fall into sin, here's what I'm unintentionally doing. By the way, this word is for me, this convicted teetotaler. I'm calling Jesus a sinner. Friends, it puts you and me, Matt Powell is in a weird place when I refuse the glass of which my Savior partook. That's a weird place to be if you're more conservative than Jesus. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying when you go more conservative to Jesus, you may not fear the danger of the bottle, but pride and arrogance and hypocrisy and Phariseeism is a dangerous sin, perhaps the most dangerous in the New Testament. Second, if I say no drinking, and if you love God, you better not, I'm stealing a God-giving blessing or liberty out of the hands of his children. Third, I'm allowing my teetotaler heroes, and Lord knows I have them, to speak more authoritatively than Jesus. But David Powell, Marshall Powell, Adrian Rogers, Holly Miller, and Billy Graham don't get the final word. Matt Powell doesn't get the final word. Jesus gets the final word because it's his word, not ours. Also, and here's the final thing, if I say Don't touch it, don't look at it, don't play with it, don't mess with it, because if you do, you will sin, because all consumption is a sin. I am setting those up I influence for an unnecessary reckoning with the Bible. Because if I tell my children the Bible says don't drink, they are going to grow up, and then they are going to read the Bible for themselves and realize that's not what the Bible says. What else were mom and dad not telling me the truth on? What else was my preacher misleading me on and just giving me social gospel? Don't tell me they don't do that, because they do. So, before you run to the liquor store today, this is part one. And I want you to hear me say, I believe the Bible, and the Bible says this about alcohol. You say, well, what about, are there different kinds of alcohol? 
Is there ever an occasion to not drink alcohol? Should everybody drink alcohol? All the, I'm going to answer those in future weeks. But for today, as a teetotaler, I say, it's a sin for me to say, it's a sin to drink. Because that's simply not what the Bible says. I hope you think about these things. Listen to all three messages. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will help us to be wise, not in our own eyes, but wise towards your word and charitable and loving towards each other. Lord, I pray these next three weeks we would walk away humble before your scripture and compassionate towards our brothers and sisters regardless of where we land on how we apply the truth of the word of God. Jesus, have your way in us. It's in Christ's name. Amen.